Good morning to each one. It's a real privilege and honor to be here with dear friends and spiritual family. It's been a blessing to worship with you so, fo- so far, and if I want to thank you for the nice, warm welcome and the words of encouragement that we received. <clears throat> for a message this morning, I felt led to share about a subject that I feel that you all are already doing or putting into practice very well, and so in some ways I almost hesitate to share it, but in other ways I want to just share it as a way of encouragement for you all to continue doing what you are all are doing, because sometimes we can become weary or wonder if we are making any difference, or if what we are doing is, is benefiting anyone. So the title of the message this morning is taken from Hebrews 13, verse 1, and you don't need to turn there if you don't want, but that verse says, let brotherly love continue. And as I mentioned, this is something that you all, as a congregation, have done so well and are doing so well at putting into practice. My family and I have felt that love many times over the years and over the more recent months. And we say thank you to you for that. The next verse, though, there in Hebrews is talking about people that aren't in the congregation necessarily. It says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So my thought on on using this as a title, let brotherly love continue, it's not, um, maybe your mind first goes to just showing love within the congregation, but my thoughts and what I plan to share this morning is to continue to show love out in the communities around us. And again, that is something that I see you all and know you all are doing. And I commend you for that. Let brotherly love continue. In my Bible, there is a section that puts some verses together about brotherly love. And under one of those headings, it says impartial love. And in Deuteronomy 10.19, it says, Love ye therefore the stranger... And who is the stranger? An alien, a sojourner. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. So God is telling them to love the stranger, to care for the stranger. There's also unselfish love. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. One one of the definitions of love that I found in the Webster's Dictionary, of course there are many listed, but the one that I want to focus on this morning is unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. Unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another, such as the fatherly concern of God for humankind. Or a brotherly concern for others. 
a person's adoration of God. So where do we find a perfect example of love? I believe you all just had communion maybe last Sunday, and um, we think about the love of God in that. And then with Easter, just real recently, we, we think about God's love and his willingness to send his son to earth. So we have an, a perfect example of love. And this morning I have an acrostic that I'm going to hang up here, I think. We'll see. If I can get it to untape and retape. And this is an acrostic about God's love. And so we aren't necessarily going to be focusing on all the different ways that God shows us love, but I want us to be able to take this example of his love and show it to those around us, in the community, in the world around us. So as we think of love and God's love, we see a love that is limitless. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. His great love. It's a limitless love. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. In terms of vastness or greatness, his love cannot be measured. It's limitless. His love is others-centered. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Also Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is true love. When we couldn't do anything for God, he was willing to die or send his son to die for us. His love is virtuous. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. From Romans 12, 9 and verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. And his love is enduring. From Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Again, as I already mentioned, I believe you are demonstrating this type of love to the world around you. And I commend you for that. But I just want to encourage you, as Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, sometimes we feel like we just maybe give and give and give. But let's not be weary in well-doing. Let's continue to press on and to show love and care to those around us. One of the reasons for sharing this message here is I was impressed recently with a testimony that I heard soon after we started attending at Mabel. There was a couple from Southern Virginia their names are John and Tammy Mills that came there and gave their testimony. And some of y'all were, were there um, for that. And it was very interesting listen, listening to him share 
their testimony on coming to the Mennonite church and what kind of drew, um, drew them to the Mennonite church. There was a number of things that I noted that were interesting and wanted to share here this morning and I wish I had a better memory to, to remember the details that he shared because he, he took a, a, um, a lengthy time in, in sharing in detail the different things that people did for them that were special to them. And I just kind of remember some of the, the highlights but not the details and so it's not quite as, as interesting. But he began his, his testimony by referring to a man in the New Testament named Gaius. How many are you familiar with this man? Okay, Brother John. It was someone that um, I wasn't familiar with. And so we read about him in 3 John. And um, I'm going to read those verses here before I share much more about the testimony. But verses 1 through 8 in 3 John talks about this man Gaius, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And we really don't find out a whole lot about him even here. Um, his name is also mentioned in Romans, I believe it is, and there's debate whether it's the same person or not, but he is doing the same things. So if it was two different people, they were doing the same things. So um, I'll refer to that here after a bit. But Third John, verses 1 through 8, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Especially note verses 5 and 6 here. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom of whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake that they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth." And what this John Mills was pointing out, what he understood from these verses and what, what I believe we can understand is this man Gaius, this brother Gaius, was someone who noticed people that had needs. Um, in verses 5 and 6 there, it talks about him doing things faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren, so to his brethren in the church, but also to the strangers. He noticed the strangers and helped the strangers. And these people have borne witness of his love that he showed to them. In Romans 16, 22 and 23, it speaks of a Gaius there also. In verse 23 it says, Gaius mine host and of the whole church saluteth you. So, he was someone that hosted people, and it appears that he hosted um, numerous of the apostles and so on as they were going around um, ministering to the churches. He was someone that was willing to take care of them, to provide for their needs, to notice that they had a need. Um, and so this brother, brother John Mills that shared with us, he said there were many people 
that were like Gaius, that noticed him and his family as they were searching um, for a church and would come and talk to them, would come and share with them. And it spoke so much to them. A few things that he shared were when um, one time they were at a restaurant, and here's where I don't have the details, whether they, um, they had three daughters, and I don't remember if his wife was beginning to try to make some dresses for them or if, it, or if they had prayed there at the restaurant. But there was another Christian couple there, and as that couple was leaving, they stopped by their table and offered words of encouragement, said that they noticed that they were doing whatever it was. And like I said, I don't have the details or remember the details, but they offered encouragement to John and his wife, Tammy, and that meant a lot to them. Another time they were at the beach and as they walked out onto the beach, there was another couple or family out there. And when that family was getting ready to leave or as they were out there, that family came over, a Christian family, and, and started talking to them. And, um, of course, I don't know what all they talked about, but they felt like that family encouraged them at that time. And what was interesting is a, a period of time later, they went back to the same beach for, for a vacation or for, to relax. And as they walked out onto the beach, that very same couple or family was, was there again. And again, they had a enjoyable conversation together and felt encouraged. They were wanting to homeschool their girls and so Tammy had went to a homeschool convention or, or something like that and, and there was a representative from CLE, which I believe was Rachel Friesen, that was there and they talked and shared. And then later on, Tammy wanted some more information, and so she calls into CLP, and who should answer but Rachel again. And um, she was able to kind of pick up and felt like she already knew, had a connection there with Rachel, and, um, and that encouraged them. In his notes, he had taped other notes from other people that had taken the time to write them notes of encouragement. He also had a, a card that he untaped, if I remember it was taped at least, and, and held up for us to see that someone had sent to them. And again, I don't remember what all it said, but they, took, they found that very special that someone took the time to write to them. And what I found interesting from all these things that he shared it was brothers and sisters that were taking notice of someone that was searching, that had a need. And these people that reached out to John and Tammy weren't all from the same congregation. Some were from the Carolinas that noticed them and offered, took time to, to visit with them or encourage them in some way. Some were from down in Floyd, um, at Michael and Cheryl's church there that took time to talk to them and encourage them. And he said all these things just really helped them and um, spoke deeply to them. All the love and care that was shown to them. And that's what I see y'all doing here at Peak. Y'all are taking the time to talk to people, to notice people, 
And I want to commend you for that. The other thing that I noted as he shared is that even though they were feeling loved and many people were showing love to them, it still took time before they were willing to commit to becoming members of the church. It took them eight years, if I remember correctly, till they decided to become members. And so I want to encourage you in that also. You know, sometimes when we find someone that is interested in learning more, in searching the scriptures, we get excited and we take time to learn to know them, to um, study the scripture with them, to encourage them, to um, do things with them for the first weeks or maybe months. But what happens after two or three years? Do we still have that same excitement or same interest in those people? Or does it start to become a burden? I know for myself, I need to be careful where it, where it just becomes, um, or we start thinking that, well, they know what the truth is. They know where they can find truth. If they have questions, they can come and talk to me about those questions. Or do I stay involved in their life and really care and continue to show love and continue to encourage them in their search, in their walk, in their growth in the Lord. I just recently read a quote from a new Christian who said, and, and I almost hesitate to, to share this here, but I think it gives us a little perspective of the responsibility that we do have as a church body. And he said, I don't know this person. It was just something that I read. He said, you know, the only thing I miss about before he became a Christian is the fellowship that I used to have with all the guys down at the tavern. And I wonder, what is our responsibility? As new believers come into the church, or as we reach out to people that are searching, or, um, yeah, new believers, do we want to become their friends? Do we, we include them with our friends? Or do we let them just fend for themselves? We're friendly to them on Sunday morning, or when we happen to cross paths with them, but let them make it on their own. You know, God has given each of us a desire to have friends, to enjoy fellowship. And if we don't reach out and become the friends to these new believers, where will they go? Who will be their friend? Will they have to go back to their old friends to find that friendship, that fellowship that they desire? <clears throat> It's a challenge for me. How much do I care about those around me? <clears throat> we have some examples in the Bible of men, of brothers, who were faithful to God's call and went out 
and did things that weren't necessarily easy when God asked them to, to be a friend, to be an encouragement to the discouraged. You can turn with me to Acts 9, verses 10 to th- um, 30 is what we'll read, but we'll start, stop, par- excuse me, stop partway through. Here we have a very familiar account, a very familiar story about Saul. And we know what happens, what happened. We start here in Acts 9, verse 10. We read of another person, Ananias. And let's see what God asked him to do. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for, thy, for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus hath appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be- Be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Then then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. So again, we have a a familiar account here of Saul. We know the story. We know some of his background. But Ananias hears a call from God in a vision saying, Ananias. And he gives him a mission to do. He tells him to go to this man named Saul. How does Ananias respond to this? Verse 13, he's not really anxious to go. I've heard of this man. And what all were the threatenings of Saul? Were they real? If we look back at verses 1 and 2, we can kind of get a picture of of how Saul was. 
and what his intentions were in coming to Damascus. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples. That doesn't sound like a very pleasant person to go visit. Um, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, so it didn't matter if it was a man or a woman, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. So that was his intentions in going to Damascus. And of course, the Lord got a hold of him along the way. And so he is now a needy person there in Damascus. He is blind, cannot see. He is also a converted man. But it's a little hard for Ananias to understand all this. God calls him and says, please go. Ananias realizes the potential danger that is that there is in going to visit Saul. But notice what he, God says to him in verse 12. He says that Saul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. What does that tell us? That God had already prepared the way. God had already put a plan into place. Saul already realized what was going to happen. God had prepared the way. <clears throat> All he needed and expected of Ananias was him to step forward in faith and follow his leading to go speak to Saul. And I had to think about my own life. How many times has God put someone in my way, already prepared the way for me to meet someone? And I step around that person, not wanting to talk, not wanting to say hi, not wanting to learn to know them. It's pretty easy to come up with excuses sometimes why we shouldn't stop and visit, why we don't have time to. And I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. There someone had a physical need, and the godly people went around. They didn't have time or didn't want to take time, or didn't want to get involved in the situation. They weren't willing to help. And how many times have I bypassed people that God has put in my life who have a real spiritual need and maybe are already seeking, and yet I have failed to help them? So Ananias has an excuse why he shouldn't go because he knows what this man Saul does and so he doesn't really want to go. But notice what God says in verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. What do you think went through Ananias' mind then? He is a chosen vessel? Ain't I the chosen vessel? You're asking me to go. And God was using Ananias. God, he was a vessel for God to use, obviously. But 
Saul also had become a chosen vessel for God to use. God had chose him. God was going to use him. Do you think at times we may fail to see the chosen vessels around us? Do we see them as chosen vessels? And I so appreciate Ananias's response in verse 17. It blesses my heart. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, Saul, said, Brother Saul. What does that mean? You know, all Ananias really knew was about this man that was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples. But yet when he goes and meets him, well, and then obviously he finds out about his conversion. God tells him and, and sends him to him. But right away he greets him as a brother, as a Christian. Saul didn't have to prove nothing to Ananias before Ananias responded this way to him. And that's a real challenge to me. He greets him as a brother. He doesn't say that he held him at arm's length, that he just did the bare minimal, but he said, Brother Saul. It's a challenge to me. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we read on in this account, we see how quickly the Jews turn against Saul, and he's kind of left on, not really on his own, but the Jews weren't his friends anymore. Um, I think we're ready to start reading verse 23, and we'll read through verse 30. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him, Saul, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So they didn't want him to escape from the city. They were waiting at the gates. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming and going out at Jerusalem. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Actually, I'm just going to stop there with verse 29. So, it wasn't long and Saul needed to escape for his life. And who does he turn to? Who helps him? But his new friends that are there in Damascus. They lower him down in a basket. And then he makes his way to Jerusalem. And I don't know if this is right away now. He did spend some time some other places, but When he gets to Jerusalem, as the account is here, he wants to join himself to the disciples, and how well do they accept him? 
not very well. They were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was actually converted, that he was actually a disciple. How often do we judge people and hold them at arm's length because of their actions or what they did before they became a Christian? You know, that's what these people were basing their acceptance or not acceptance of, of Saul because of his previous life, because of how he acted before he became a Christian. They weren't ready to accept him as a Christian, as a brother. But Barnabas, verse 27, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. How did Barnabas know this? Are you a Barnabas? Do you get close enough to a new believer? a new Christian to listen to their story and hear how God has changed their life? And then, are you willing to put your reputation on the line by saying, listen, brothers, to this person's testimony. This is what he has experienced. This is how he is living now. How far does your faith take you? How far does God want you to go to show love to the needy around you or around me? I said, this this message is for me too. It's not just for you. I tend to be shy. I tend to avoid um, difficult um, conversations maybe or situations. But am I willing to step out into faith, in faith, and get to know those people that need a friend, that are searching for God. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Are your actions reflecting? Are my actions reflecting the love of God? Is my love limitless, other-centered, Virtuous, enduring? Is this the type of brotherly love that I am exemplifying? And again, I commend you all for the love that you do show. This message wasn't meant to condemn in any way, only to to encourage us to keep on, each one of us, to reach out to those that need a friend, to those that are searching. May the Lord bless you richly as you continue to show brotherly love one toward another.